Hey guys, what's up? It's Zemet here with Cartel Aristocrats cast number 51. I'm joined this week as always with my co-host Ed Wynn of Kerwin's Gaming, Jim Caselli of Modern Nexus, Travis Allen of MTG Price and Scry.Land. And of course, we're joined with a special guest this week, Mike, owner of Lodestone Games. Do you want to sort of talk about uh, what exactly Lodestone Games is? I know we had your manager, Morgan, on last week. Uh, so we are a coffee shop slash board game slash trading card game store in Minnetonka, Minnesota. Um, we're about 10, 10 minutes outside of downtown Minneapolis. Um, we've been open for about, coming up on six months here, actually next week. Uh, we do everything from magic, small magic, to large tournaments, to board games, X-Wing, and then we also are a full-service coffee shop all the time. And so for those of you who may not have listened to the Lodestone plug last week, essentially what happened is that um, we had Morgan on, who's the manager of Lodestone, and you know Lodestone's really been taking off as far as being the premier shop in uh, Minneapolis area to play at for pretty much any format. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to shill too hard here, but yeah, uh, basically their their entire marketing has just been by people saying how great it is. Um, and, you know, owning a game shop is cool and all. Uh, that's what, like, a lot of us on this cast do or work with. But there's something that's way more important that happened this week, and that is that they finally banned Sensei's Divining Top in Legacy, a.k.a. the best format of all. So, backstory before my co-hosts chime in right here. I was in class. Yeah, thanks, Travis. I was in class this morning, and my phone was not muted. And as soon as the ban list came up, I started getting calls from a ton of people who were trying to cancel their uh, their entry into our Legacy Win a Lotus tournament this weekend. And everyone was like, I need a refund, I need a refund, I need a refund. And I'm like, well, what the hell is going on? Well, it turns out they banned top, and all the Miracles players, which makes up a substantial portion of our meta, were trying to get refunds. So, yeah. And, of course, a lot of things moved. So, do you guys want to talk about which cards went up, which cards went down, and the general reaction to this ban? I love it. Having ba top band is the best thing that's happened to me in a long time. Well, yeah, it's probably good for anyone that owns a shop. You sell more cards. <laughs> uh, Minneapolis is a great legacy scene. It always has. I've been playing legacy for 15 years, and it's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, we have generally get between 15 and 25 on our Monday night uh, event, which is $10 entry. And then, I mean, it's just everybody has cards here. It's like there's card availability all over. Having top band didn't really change much. There's a few people who are complaining about it, but most even the Miracle players are taking it pretty well. Ed? I think Ed fell asleep. Ed, and have his mic sound muted or something? Hello? Yeah, his, like, his, his like, lips are not even moving. Like He's just staring into the abyss. Okay, I, I think Jeremy wanted me to say something. Um, <laughs> Can you not hear us, Ed? I guess, so I guess... No, everyone's like super distorted. So I think my internet's having problems. I'm not sure. I, maybe it's just my Mac. I'm not, not completely sure what's going on. Someone else say something for a bit, and then come back to me. Jim, go for it. All right, so uh, top being banned is probably the worst thing that happens to EDH players in forever, because the main source of the price of them really has been legacy players. No, and... no, no. EDH is what's kept top alive. 
Okay. The amount of tops that are seeing play in EDH is much more than the amount of tops that are seeing play in Legacy. Well, it gives, if anything, the this is, it gives people if any, the impression that it'll be less money now. That's even and, better for Commander players because now no, we will sell through them faster. Is so obnoxious. I hate playing with it and I hate playing against it. If top goes down to $8, Ed, Mike, and I all buy it $4. We all sell right away for $8. How is this a bad thing? It's bad because it makes the games that already go at about a snail's pace like take twice as long, and it's just it's just miserable. So I hate a, the card. So you're complaining about a, a, a personal slight rather than what we're focused on, which is making money, and cheaper cards are generally better because they turn over faster. I, I have a question here for Jim. When you guys play with top, do you all top at the end of the last person's turn? I don't own any, and I don't play any, but most people will do it at the end of the last player's turn, hmm. which I is mean, not... It, 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 it conceals the most information, but is not the most time-efficient for the group. Yeah, well, what we do is you can top... Basically, once you pass a turn, you can top, but then you are allowed to go back and change it if anything changes after the fact, uh, basically just to save time. Which makes a lot of sense, but my EDH group likes to drink, and sometimes the things that make the most sense are not the first things that people end up doing. We never play sober. We just never play EDH. <laughs> You're missing out. It's a great format. Ed, are you there? Or are you just dead? Apparently he's dead. Well, you know, I guess it's too much for our host to have good internet it's connections. Not. It's not. Uh, can you guys hear me? <laughs> nope. All robot. Yep. Well, this is good job, Ed. Uh, that high-class MTG finance lifestyle is providing a great internet access for you. You should really be proud. Maybe you should uh, stop sitting on bags of gold because we all know shops make so much money, and you should just start investing in uh, reliable internet connection. See, I, f I feel like this is your fault because I had the same problem as he's having right now. It's unlikely both of us are having the same internet issues. Well, the flip side of that is I basically never have the problem, right? If you guys I agree that with me. Yeah. Just you wait. Next week is your time. Well, I mean, Time Warner, or I'm sorry. Uh, no, wait. She was it Spectre, Scepter, Spectrum. I mean, they're garbage. So I don't expect it to hold out forever. Yeah. Um,. Also, Iconic Masters was announced, which is basically Wizards saying, hey, we really like double dipping until the point that players can't afford to keep buying the same stuff if you're trying to buy every supplementary product. You know, they're really just going all out with trying to target every single type of player that plays Magic, whether it's casual or the more enfranchised player. Um, with this announcement, how do you guys feel about how much players are going, how much money players are going to have left and what we could possibly see in this set? Uh, so, Jim, are we going to have – we're going to do Mike, then Jim, then myself. That work for you guys? Sure, why not? All right. Our strategy is just always when it comes to Magic is just go wide. It's like you can't – Magic players are going to find a way to buy the new product no matter what it is, whether it's Amonkhet or Iconic Masters or the next Modern Masters or whatever it is. Like there's – it appeals to so many different people that you just have to have communities in everything. And then if you do that, you never have to worry about – people not buying product. 
Um, yeah, I don't really know how I feel about a second master set in the same year, just in general. Like, conspiracy sets are a little different, and they have a lot more new cards, and you know, there's a lot more to look forward to those. I think, in general, in in a newer set, even if it's a supplementary set, I'm kind of confused why we're doing iconic masters at this point in the year because it's going to be in like november which is when the fall set which is the most popular set usually comes out and i'm really kind of worried about like how what that's going to do to the sales of the big set at the end of the year that usually sells pretty well and there's usually an overabundance of of that product available um how many people are going to spend their money on iconic masters instead of this set, I don't really know. Um, what I do know is it's going to be a really weird set release since the pre-release for the set is like a month before the spoilers for the set are or something like that. Like They're releasing the set at HasCon, which I think is a new thing, and they're basically going to have people open up the booster packs, draft the cards, and post everything online, and nobody's going to know if anything's real. There's going to be a ton of fake cards floating around. And until we get conf confirmation from Wizards of the Coast, it's going to have some real, I think, some weird effects on prices. Like, if they reprint Jace the Mind Sculptor again, and you know, I see, I feel, I feel like that's a pretty iconic card and it's a pretty easy inclusion in the set. But like, is it going to have new art? Is that going to affect like how people look at the old ones? And what's going to happen for the next, you know, couple of weeks or whatever before the set actually releases in stores is going to be really weird because. Are they even going to give us all the cards that weekend of the pre-release? Are they just going to show the cards that people open in the booster packs? Or are they going to rely on people posting them on social media to see, even see what's in the packs? Like, how much information we're going to get is really going to dictate how this affects pre-order pricing and, and and just like hype for the set in general. I mean, I think from a financial standpoint about it, the thing to focus on with these sets is not what's in those sets, but what is being missed because of those sets. So from the most recent Modern Masters set, one thing we knew is that Aethervolt was going to be opened a lot less because there was a master set. So less people are going to be drafting in shops playing Aethervolt and standards in a place where you're not, you know, it's not in a great spot. That's that's all I can really say about that. And it's, uh, but like Fatal Pushes, there are very few Fatal Pushes in our local area. So you just like have to focus on getting the cards that, you know, when standard gets better are going to be worth money because of these iconic masters, modern masters, like they're shorting supply of important cards in formats that people are going to play. Ed, do you have any thoughts on this? I think that I'm not sure where you guys are on this. Sorry, I did jump back in. My internet was having some issues, but I think the biggest issue with iconic masters is just kind of the timing of it. I think it coming in towards the end of the year, it's obviously like a massive push to kind of boost end of year sales. Anyone who looked at the core one financial reports for Hasbro this year, um, I, I, when they published it this morning, I think they actually reported a slight decline. Um, I think Magic actually did suffer a little. And I think that was one of the kind of big points that was, um, that was kind of the focus of the uh, quarterly report. Um, so I, so obviously like towards the end of the year, like the sales do hurt the most, but it seems like a very odd time to do it because false sets generally seem to have the highest turnover rate. They sell the most. It's the most popular. It's kind of the perfect storm of 
everyone is ready to start playing Magic again. People are coming off summer. People are going back to school. The weather is crummier. People are less likely to go outside. All these kind of just naturally drive more sales during the fall. Whereas like Eternal Masters or Mar Masters, it seemed like they came at a better time, mainly because you kind of have these like lull in the sales that naturally occur due to the se- the season, the timing of it, and whatever. Um, so that's my biggest concern with Iconic Masters. Uh, as Jim mentioned, the the way the pre-release and spoilers are working is kind of bizarre. This obviously isn't something they haven't done before. Um, so it's going to be really hard to kind of catch wind because even whatever is opened and spoiled at HasCon itself, uh, which is a whole topic of discussion in its own, um, obviously it's not going to be the full set. So they whatever they spoil, presumably it's going to be completely random. So there's still going to be a lot hanging. Oh, we only saw, you know, like eight of the 15 Mythics or whatever. There's still a lot of speculation on what could uh, still be open based on number crunching or like what the distribution of colors or whatever. Um, it'll definitely be interesting to see how that turns out. Again, my biggest concern is how it does affect the fall set. If people are people get super excited by Iconic Masters, it might kind of just take all that attention away from uh, Exxon or whatever is going to come out. And I think that's the biggest concern as a store rather than how... Uh, how Iconic Masters is kind of the big push towards end of your sales, which again, I don't think is necessarily needed, but it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. The one thing I want to point out here um, is that you don't realize how many of this stuff has gotten reprinted kind of recently. I was digging through MTG uh, Top 8 um, and some other sites to look for interesting modern brews because I was writing an article and I'm flipping through and I'm like, okay, what are some of the potential targets here? And it's like, reprinted internal masters modern masters 2 modern masters 2 dual deck commander deck i'm like damn there are like a lot of recent printings for a lot of these cards so it's 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 kind of surprising now looking back at the last couple of years you realize just the real volume of cards that have been reprinted like it's easy to pick out cards in modern that haven't been reprinted but if you start looking through top lists uh there are not many left at this point they're in common use that haven't been reprinted so they're definitely getting the copies out there. Is that necessarily a bad thing, though? Reprinting um, increases accessibility into the formats and attracts demand when cards no, are it's, cheaper. It's not a problem at all. Uh, I think it's good for players and it's good for people like us because a card that's stuck at $30 because it doesn't have any reprints, we can't do anything with. But when that gets reprinted down to 6 and then we can buy them up and sell them again at 15 is great. Um, and it gives the other players a chance to get in at 6 What it does mean is that the... Uh, fertile ground for wizards in terms of cards that haven't been reprinted yet is shrinking rapidly. And between Modern Masters 3 and Iconic Masters this year, there is not going to be a lot left, you know, heading into 2018. By the time they hit 2020, you will not see an original copy anywhere because it'll just all be reprints. Or I should say, you won't see cards played in Modern that don't have reprints, essentially. It's a pretty good point, actually, Travis. Um, I hadn't actually thought of all the reprints as far as basically everything. Like, Valakut hasn't been hit, I guess. Is that, like, one of the only thing? Valakut, Scapeshift, uh, Through the Breach, and Goryos. And that's, like, the big ones. Those are definitely big ones. And, like, if you go digging for them, you can find them. Um, But, you know, in an average 75 list, I guess there's only a couple card copies of cards that haven't been reprinted at this point. And a lot of them are just sort of, like, incidental crap that could show up anywhere. And a lot of things from from my personal observations, players prefer the stamp and the new frame. I don't know the difference for you guys, Mike and Ed, 
But even when you look at Bylus, the commander versions of some of these cards, Bylus are way more than the old versions, just because players either like the new, the old border or they like knowing that their cards are real, quote unquote. Well, I love the old borders on almost everything, but I suspect that I am in the minority. I think it's your old consistency. Like people want all the same border for everything in their deck, and just like I mean, we sell more of the modern masters every time a Tarmogoyf comes out. We sell more of the newest Tarmogoyf because there's just more of them out there, and people want a matching set. Versus, you know, the price doesn't really matter that much. Like I'm willing to sell a set of modern masters two Tarmogoyfs for the same price as I sell a modern masters three set. Yeah, I tend to agree as well. I think the biggest thing is, like like you had mentioned, Mike, it's the uniformity of it. People want to see, oh, I have four matching Tarmogoyfs. Even though the art is the same, I just want, like, the same set symbol or whatever. Um, and anyone who likely bought in, like, if I just bought Goblin Guides, I have two Goblin Guides I opened through Modern Masters 3 packs or trading. Well, I'm probably going to pick up two more Modern Masters 3 ones um, just to have a matching set, um, as opposed to having a mix and match with Zendikar or... Um, or the, whatever reason. Um, and I think that actually just slightly drives up demand on more recent cards. Um, that's why, like, you see, uh, um, like, Marmasters 2 Noble Hacks are actually uh, worth a little bit more than Conflux ones. Again, I think anyone who opened up a Noble Hierarch recently probably owns a Marmasters 2 one. And for uniformity's sake, they probably want to have a matching set. So it's not, it's, it's not, it's not a, it's not an uncommon trend. Um, and I imagine for commander players, like just so many cards nowadays are in the modern card frame that people just prefer to have uniformity uh, among their cards. And I guess it's nice that they take that visual aspect into account when you're looking at trading for cards if they have two of the same card in their binder and one of them is the newer version and one of them's the older. Maybe target the newer one. Uh, speaking of visually appealing, Amon kept pre-releases this weekend. And everyone who opened up an invocation was like, eh, this isn't as bad as I thought, but I still want to sell it. Uh, for each of you, basically, did you guys go to a pre-release? Did you play? How did you feel about the format? And how did you feel about seeing these invocations and the prices coming into the first week of sales? Well, we're six months old, so I don't get to play in pre-releases yet. Uh, we sold out all of our pre-releases. Uh, I saw some... Invocations opened. I said the same thing everybody is saying, where you say it looks much better in person than it does on the internet. But I mean, they're just lottery tickets. People buy booster packs to sell invocations to get more booster packs. It's not, nobody really wants them. They just want the money from them. I do find myself wondering if, um, do we like them more? Or are we just inured to them? Like, we've seen them. We got over how ugly they were the first time. Now, the ugliness doesn't strike us. So we're like, oh, I guess that's okay. I think it's a twofold issue. I think the first issue is that, one, when, like, I think at PAX two years ago, was it when they first showed, like, I think the very first card they showed was, like, an Aaron Mesa or something. Like, people were like, wow, like, this is obviously, new like, a big deal. One, because it was a fetch land, obviously, like, that's kind of the the pinnacle of what can be printed in a unique uh, highest level rarity card card. Um, but it was also like they completely changed the card frame. It was a simpler frame. Um, it was, I, I think it looked a little bit cleaner and more elegant, but I think as time went on, I think the masterpieces both suffered from 
naturally having worse cards. Like, obviously, everyone needs to play lands, like shock lands, fetch lands. Everyone wants those. Uh, there's playing utility lands, even things like, um, like Corehaven, for example. Like, is it like the sweetest card open? Obviously not, right? But it does have limited use in Legacy. It does need playing Commander. The foil on it is monstrously expensive if you want the OG foil from, I think, Nemesis. Right, but like if you look at like the kind of next iteration in Kaladesh masterpieces, right? Like, what do you really have there that's super exciting? Obviously, the border is still super cool, but like once you get past kind of the big Soul Ring, Mana Vault, Mana Crypt, like they do kind of they kind of suck more. They're not as ubiquitous. Um, they're not as universal. It seemed like the spread between casual cards and competitive cards was more heavily shifted towards casual. And now we look at the most current iteration in Amonkhet and you have a lot of really really shitty cards on there no offense but like obviously like die ball content like that's a great casual card right anyone who isn't aware of it the original plane shift card there's only been one printing and it's buy list for nine dollars it sells for about 13 um it's one of those cards that kind of suffers from it's great and casual but people don't know about as much because it's such an old card uh probably time magic players nowadays weren't even born when plane shift like was released um so it kind of suffers from that uh attrition is kind of in the same boat it's a great card people just don't know about it because it hasn't seen a more modern printing and i think all of those together like if uh, i think uh mtg goldfish there was a little article about the value of um about the average value of the masterpiece and it's, it's slowly trending down over time and i think the biggest thing is the novelty of it has really worn off people are no longer have the same excitement it's more about oh like, what can we expect this time? And I think I think that does cause a lot of people to lose interest in it, mainly because it's not as unique as it was when uh, Battle first came out two years ago with them. Because they were truly, like, unique back then. They were way more novel than they are now. I'll just be quick. Um, I really think that the art is the most important part of the cards, and the fact that these cards sacrifice some of the art for a frame that's like not particularly enticing, really leaves I think a lot on the table as far as uh, masterpieces are concerned. Um, I don't think this selection of cards was necessarily the best, but uh, I think that maybe they'll grow on people over time. But some of them, like Ed said, are just absolutely awful, and I don't know why they were made into masterpieces. And those will probably be worth close to nothing for the foreseeable future. Travis, any thoughts on this? No, no, I mean, nothing, nothing else to add. I just, I don't think we like them as much as we think we like them as much as we're just, rather we're just used to them. Uh, they're going to get less interesting as we go. But other than that, everyone pretty much covered all the bases. Yeah, I mean, personally, I actually didn't even step foot in the shop this weekend during pre-release. We sold out of like everything and I was just like, all right, hockey's more important. Let's see the blue smash the wild. Um, Boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deal with it. Um I actually was in St. Louis for a little while. Uh, shout out to Christian who came up and said hi to me when I was just playing EDH with some buddies on the way back to uh, Columbia. Uh, long time listener, I think. I First time I've seen him in forever. Um, one of the shops that I went to had five whole people for their pre-release. Like, I don't know. A lot of people seem really down on the set. And like as Chaz Andre said on Twitter, and we've had him on this cast before, um, he thinks that there's some sort of negative feedback loop with magic, that magic is all doom and gloom. And I'm definitely one of the biggest proponent of magic is ruined forever on this cast. 
if you've listened to any of the past ones. Um, but it's interesting to see uh, some of the shops just sell out of everything, and then some of the shops just have like a few people show up. And that that's just seems really weird because this wasn't like, you know, Uncle Ricky's Missouri backwater shop. This is like a shop in a nice mall with clean floors and all that stuff. Like they seem to have been doing it right and they were just dead. So for me, it's interesting to see how this set sort of being received by the player base. Whereas for Battle for Zendikar, I think all of us could barely get a seat at the pre-release because it was so popular. Everyone wanted to go back to Zendikar. Everyone liked the expeditions and we couldn't keep anything in stock, you know, the first couple uh, weeks that the set dropped. And now everyone's like, oh, let's wait to see what happens. Standard's not great. You know, the format's not great. Nothing's really changing. Um, so what are your personal thoughts on this pre-release if you went and how you feel about it? I mean, it's... I, like, was in the store all weekend, but it... I disagree that it's dying out because of the set. Um, I think that you just have to appeal to a different crowd if you're trying to sell out for releases and sell out events. It's not so much um, about people not showing up anymore as much as the advertising has to be different. You can't just assume people are going to come to pre-releases anymore. People have a ton of things to do. Like in Minnesota, it was a gorgeous weekend. You have to really push people to come out and play magic and just give them a higher quality product. And if you're, you know, doing that, you'll have no problem selling out events. Can I ask what you were charging on your pre-release kits? 25 bucks. Okay. So you were a normal person. Yep. When it came to price, I saw as high as 35 this weekend. And if I was a player, I would just be like, why the hell would I want to play in this? Well, so. I mean, you can charge more as long as you give more to the customer. So my local pre-releases were $30 um, at some stores and 25 at most of them. But the store that charged 30 gave you a play mat, a sweet metal zombie token and additional prize support. So like there is definitely value there if you could, if you, if you offer it, like, if you cater to the crowd that only comes in for the pre-release, then you'll you'll be able to hit the numbers that you want to hit. Um, personally, I feel like my local pre-releases pre-releases were just as good as they have been in the last couple of set releases. Um, like I went to a 6 p.m. like the second pre-release on Saturday. And that means there were two more before that, and there was like 65 people. So. It's still pretty pretty big events that that far into the weekend. Um, I don't I don't think that people are necessarily down on it. Like I don't think that I saw anyone that was like truly upset with the set. Um, everyone likes new cards, and as long as you tell people that you're doing it and you provide a product that people want, then they'll come and do it. Um, I don't know. I I didn't have the same experience that you did with people not really feeling the set. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of be the, the backside of the coin here, but like, I think like the set, we did see slightly lower average attendance across our pre-releases. Um, I think midnight had like one of the lower attendances we have in a while. Um, I, so I'm not sure like exactly what the issue is. I'm not sure like Mike, if it's necessarily an issue of just marketing, like we do our usual, like, like Facebook talking about it on, uh, like our stream, um, like just ads in store, all that stuff. Uh, but we had like a lot of people who come from different areas for midnight who just weren't there this time. So midnight was, I think, proportionally lower in attendance than 
most of our other ones. Most of our other ones were down a little bit, but relatively consistent. I'm just not sure. One of the things that we discussed in, internally was, um, is it possible that for us, like, I don't know if elsewhere suffers from the same problem, but our midnight pre-release is starting to become a bad idea. Um, like, I know personally for me, like, if I didn't have to work them, there was no, there's no chance in hell I would be at a midnight pre-release myself to play. One, because I'm just getting too goddamn old to do it. And, like, just staying up all night is just completely death. And I'm sure some of you guys can sympathize as well. Like, when you work all day on Friday, the last thing you want to do is go from work to FNM and then FNM stay there until midnight and then midnight pre-release until, like, 7 in the morning. Um, and I, I do kind of wonder if that's, like, some burnout we've seen. Um, I know, like, I've heard a growing concern among players, like, it's becoming harder and harder to do the midnights. Like we've, I've seen an increasing number of players just basically come for a product and drop because they'd rather just keep the product and then just play with their friends at home on their own time rather than just have a shitty day on Saturday. Um, so I don't know if that's part of it. I think we might be looking at maybe not doing a midnight pre-release in the future and maybe like having a, like a bigger focus on the Saturday events. Um, I'm just not really sure, like, to pinpoint, like, what exactly this issue, but I do think the set was somewhat less well-received than kind of Aetherval and Kaladesh uh, in the past few sets. I don't think I have too much to add. I didn't make it to a pre-release. I do wonder, I guess I found myself wondering if Om and Cat was as interesting, maybe, as some of the old sets. Battle for Zendikar was really exciting. Om and Cat doesn't seem to have that cool factor that we've seen elsewhere. Kaladesh had some really cool looking cards. You had vehicles, some interesting stuff, but I'm in cat. I don't know. Just didn't have that spice. You know, I haven't played many pre-releases in a long time, but some of them, some of the sets look a lot cooler than others. And, um, I looked at Amon Cat. I'm just like, there's there's something really here that I'm like eager to do. And when I went and played, St well, I drafted uh, after the fact, and I was like going through the packs. I'm like, there's nothing, there's nothing fun. I'm not finding anything exciting here in the way that I've seen in other sets. So it might have something to do with the fact that even though players have been clamoring for an Egypt set for a while, this one just, at least to me, doesn't feel like it hit the mark. It's because it's a pyramid scheme. I, I think it's also a little bit because cycling is a little. It looks a lot less exciting than it is. Uh, I had a lot of fun at my pre-release, and I think I'm probably going to end up drafting a lot of this. And I didn't at all for Aether Revolt, and I only did Kaladesh because I went to the Pro Tour. Like, I wasn't really into those sets, but this one looks like it'll be fun. Like, I feel like cycling adds another dimension that we just don't have in in draft formats very often, and it looks very underwhelming until you play with it, and then you're like, man, everything's awesome. Good point. Anyone else? Anyone wants to add about this subject before we move on? Uh, I like think cycling is one of the best limited mechanics of all time. Um, it's besides the regular people that have kind of been showing up at the shop. There's a lot of the people, uh, myself included, that are like old grinders. That you know, we've got one of the other owners here was like, you know, PTQN boss for a while and all that stuff. And like, it is bringing out this like hidden fire that we all have for Magic every time a new set comes out that looks like it has great limited mechanics and. Like we're talking about, we're already planning afternoon drafts when the coffee shops open and all kinds of stuff like that. But we're just, I'm so excited to draft this set. I'm so excited. Thank you for that, Travis. Um, all right, so here's something that I think a lot of us have issues with. I mean, none of us on this cast, obviously, we're all high-end rollers with just stacks and stacks of gold bars from selling soul rings, right? Um, this is something that a lot of uh, listeners have a problem with, and I think occasionally when we get in over our heads, we might as well. 
unless you have a stack of a thousand restore balances <laughs> Travis. And uh, that's the problem of keeping capital on hand to buy cards. I know our former member of the cast, Douglas Johnson, always has like a, a fair amount of money on him for when the banks are closed and he needs to buy a collection. Not saying how much because I don't want him to get robbed. Mm, a lot of money. And um, I don't think you needed a specific <laughs> amount of money to already. <laughs> yeah. Um, so especially for Travis taking the standpoint as a armchair speculator, Jim taking the standpoint as a player and Mike and Ed taking the standpoint of a shop. How do you guys keep enough capital on hand to continue buying all these cards, especially when it takes a while for TCG to pay you if you're selling on TCG or if you're selling, you know, um, if you're selling in your shop, can you keep that money going in order to keep buying things? Or have you even noticed a trend as far as the amount of people buying in versus cashing out lately? Uh, we always, everybody at Lodestone is willing to like wheel and deal. Um, we train all our employees to be the buyer. We don't have like anybody on staff that can't buy everything. Um, we, we, you know, we vet our employees pretty heavily. Um, they're ready to buy at all times. So, you know, if you think someone is two seconds away from making a big purchase and there's like something that you need to do to pepper it in over the edge, do it. Like get it, you know, sell things. That is the goal of a store is to sell things. Um, and it just keeps a healthy flow of cards coming in and out. And we do a lot of sales because we have everything. Um, we get lists constantly via email, via Facebook um, that are just like, I want to build this modern deck. And you're like, okay, I'll have it for you in two hours. You know, like, and they, people can just come in and we give them the opportunity to spend money on magic cards. And that keeps us ready to buy at all times. Somebody's pretty excited out there. It's legacy. How could you not be excited? They yeah. banned top. Yeah, Woo! Have, I think there's, it sounds like there's 22 players playing legacy outside there. So they're all like getting the good, no top woos in before Woo, my opponent just played a tabernacle pendril veil it's gonna be 20 <laughs> more turns before the game's over Woo! yeah the guy casting glimpse of nature is real thrilled <laughs> uh so again jeremy already highlighted i'm the kind of the armchair guy um which anyone paying attention already know i uh i don't really have this problem um you know i have a real job and it lack of funds never comes up because I'm never spending enough that it would put me out of my way. So it's just never really an issue, I guess. I mean, if I was buying large enough items, it would be an issue. Um, but you know, that would require a larger investment than I would ever comfortably make given my, um, input and output men venues as it is like where I sell on TCG player as just a guy at home. I don't own a store. I don't have, I'm not traveling to GPs vendoring this stuff. So basically the channels that I have to out my cards is limited enough that I would never even be in a position where I'd probably be outspending my capital on hand. And so just as a general sort of amount, Travis, like, what would you say as an armchair speculator before we move on to like uh, the high rollers on this cast, what would you say is like a good amount to have on hand if you want to catch something last minute before it spikes or you just see an opportunity that you can't pass up? Well, Protean Hulk spiked today uh, as a result of being unbanned in EDH and uh, TCG moved pretty fast. I think you, if you, had had prescient knowledge, you could have probably emptied the major internet retailers of Protean Hulk for 
around $400, maybe $500. Although ABU had 150 SP copies, so maybe a little more than that, but discounting that uncommon event, um, you know, $500 is, is enough to ever, to really do a, a large number on any one card. I mean, you should be asking yourself if you should be spending that much money on a card before you do it anyways. Um, so, you know, just a couple hundred bucks floating around is, is generally more than enough. At least that's sort of pushing the upper limit of my risk, the run of risk I'm willing to take on. Um, I know Jeremy will throw 10 grand at memory jars. Uh, Allegedly throw 10 grand. <laughs> but so, that, you know, kind of gives you an idea of, of how, how different it is. But these guys are running businesses, you know, so it's, it's part of their expenses. And if they screw up, they can write it off as a business loss. Your Allegedly money. write it off as a business loss. <laughs> Ed? Um, I won't go too much into this. I think the like I think the biggest thing with capital, I know this problem I had when I was like start starting out was I just wasn't willing to turn over cards fast enough. Um nowadays, like I, I just want to make sure we always have capital on hand. I'll definitely sell things at a loss if I have to, if that means it's a way to generate immediate capital especially when large collections come in or there's a Grand Prix coming up or whatever. Um, anyone who follows me on Twitter like is on, active on Facebook. Last week I was selling foreign booster boxes at $80. With um, shipping. To clarify, wow. it was with shipping. Yeah, with What's shipping. Uh, Japanese, Korean, German. Of Amoncat? Uh, no, no. Of uh, Shadows Block. It was just oh. access boxes, yeah. But at eighty dollars, like if I'm paying fees on it and shipping is included, I'm basically losing like six dollars a box. But to me, I value the storage space much, much higher than the box themselves. Uh, so that's why I would just rather see those gone. And those are the type of things I would do occasionally. Um, and I think for like smaller people, sometimes like people just have to like accept that. Hey, I'm just not going to make that much money. It's more important to cash out on it now. And just lock in like, oh, I'd rather have the money now because I have more opportunity to make money with the capital I have rather than trying to hold out and make a little bit more money down the line. And I think that's one of those that's one of those just important tips that like anyone who is in this industry probably should be capitalizing on more than they do. I think and I think that's an interesting um, difference between you and I is at least for people in my situation that need of just being able like, oh, I will take a loss on this because having the extra capital and be able to flip it is really important, is much less important to me than it is to you guys. Because I've listened to you guys for a long time talk about what you will and won't, and you'll dump, you'll dump product at a loss because you need the space, you need the cash. And for me, I'm like, no, I could wait. It's just, it's just a very different profile for, for guys in my situation. Jim, any thoughts as the established grinder on this cast? Um, I mean, I would probably, I, I usually ended up doing things more closely to what, uh, Ed does rather than what Travis does. Like if you don't need things and you're holding on to them, they're not, they're not like if you, if you open up a card at a draft and it's worth $30 and you don't sell it ever and it's the comes to rotation and you still haven't, you're not using it and you've never used it the whole time. You didn't make any money off of that. You should just get rid of it when you don't need it. Uh, I see too many people that just have like fully stocked binders of cards that they just they know they will never play, but they still own them because they want to own them. And if you get out of that mindset and just sell stuff you don't use, you're more likely to end up with more money in the long run. Well, I will highlight that that's not 
that doesn't mean that I sit on, I don't open cards at the pre-release, like a single Gideon and then refuse to sell that Gideon for the entire time he's legal and standard. It's more like, oh, I don't mind waiting a little longer. Uh, like, so I have a bunch of breaking enterings now and I'm not going to dump those now just because I want to be rid of them and I don't care uh, and I'd rather move on with my life. It's I'm fine sticking them in a storage box and waiting another two years to see if they appreciate. Whereas Ed or Jeremy might flip them immediately because they're just like, whatever, I don't care. Like, get these out of my shop. I can move on to something else. So I know exactly the guy you're talking about. And I just want to highlight that that's, that's not me. And I don't recommend doing that either. I have a friend who drafts and he puts all the cards he opens in a binder and then never touches them and he basically doesn't play constructed so you can look through his binder and be like wow you took a lot of valuable cards and drafts from the like i don't know theros block and everything before that that are now worth garbage so i i offer to sell them to him sell them for him at a, at a, a cut of the profits but he still won't bother it's kind of dumb that way yeah i mean <laughs> like i was talking to one of my friends that's right not tech, like not very financially savvy as far as like magic cards are concerned he opened a uh, promo Gideon in his pre-release pack and I was like you should probably just try to sell it right now if you could get like 40 or 50 dollars for it that'll probably like that's way less than TCG low but that'll probably be way more than you're going to get for it when it rotates even if you end up playing it like just sell it now if you really need them buy two regular ones and you're just going to end up playing with them like you, you just need more cards to play with if you're not going to play them which he doesn't play standard so I'm not sure why you would ever want to keep this then just sell it when you when you get it immediately because there's no reason to hold on to it. Like even if you can like buy this to a store for like thirty dollars, which is less. It's it's like eighty two on TCG Player. If you can sell it for even less than half, like there's still a a number that you can sell this for that it just makes more sense now than to just keep it. Like it's just thirty more dollars in your pocket and your pre-release is free now. Right. See, Travis, the real thing that your buddy's doing is he's going to be drafting for so long that, like, another 10 years that those will be the new Mishra's baubles of draft. And then that's his long plan is just, like, spending less than what a movie would cost every week and then just one day being like, oh, these uh, Eidolon of Countless Battles are worth $19 now? Okay, perfect. That's yeah, the long plan. But he's only got, like one or two copies of each right so it's not even like he's acquired enough to really like turn a real profit he's good they're so distributed that for every one or two that he has uh there are plenty more that he doesn't own enough copies of yeah i guess i agree i think as far as inventory flow goes for me like we're the only real shop in the area um our competitors just as far as i'm aware liquidated all their high-end stuff to keep up with us from what i've been told from their players and like, I've been able to just sort of, you know, buy all the memory jars under a certain price point, sit on them for two years and then dump them all. And it really helps at Grand Prix when vendors such as Hyrule will literally just take a stack of 100 chain bales. And like, that is so much uh, save time and like not shipping that I have to pay just because they're starting to target casual more. And, you know, I'm not going to sell like 300 copies of chain bill in my shop. So that is a that is a real bummer, by the way. That I can't sell 300 copies of Chainville. No, the Harry is selling more to Casuals. Uh, it's because Bashard is their head buyer now. Who I know. Was a member on Brainstorm Brewery. I know why it is, and it's a bummer. <laughs> what on the <to> stop? <laughs> okay, I I don't know what that adds to the conversation, Travis. But sure. Um, yeah. You want to defend yourself or? 
Well, no, I just like it would, they were, you was a great place to go for casual cards because they weren't marketing to that group, but now all their prices on that stuff will rise to be the appropriate level. And it's just unfortunate because basically Ryan's doing what he should do. And it's unfortunate for us. Well, I mean, there's a difference between the Haruya US and Haruya Japan. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So, um, so yeah, it's like real different for a shop because obviously for Ed, uh, Mike and I, we all want to sell stuff as fast as possible. But it, when we see something good or we're just real stupid and want to buy out the internet, like you have the capital to do that sometimes through your business because you're acquiring inventory. Allegedly buy out the internet. No, I mean, I've admitted to buying out the internet on multiple things. A lot of alleged activities occurring around here. No, no. I mean, I bought out memory jar below $7 like two years ago. And that worked out. Same with Thunder Spirit. Same with If Biffa Free. Like before old school came along. So, yep, you got lucky. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff I've been burned on, but like Eidolon is probably the best one ever that I've ever called. So that was real fun. Um, let's move on. Obviously, no one wants to hear a cast of humble brags. Otherwise, Travis would be the main host of this cast. So <laughs> not even humble. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So, you know, we've talked about Amicat, we've talked about Invocations, we've talked about Capital, but there's something that Mike alluded to at the beginning of the cast that, you know, we haven't really gotten into, and that's how the hell did you start Lodestone and turn it into what it is now, you know? You go from uh, a shop that, you know, I personally hadn't heard of, and I like to keep track of all the Midwest shops, and people start plugging you guys right away, they start talking about your coffee shop right away, they start talking about how nice the shop is. And you're saying that you guys are having an insane turnout and selling out everything. Uh, what's sort of the history behind Lodestone that you started with? Um, okay, so we come from, I've done, I've been playing Magic for 15 years. Um, I originally, when I started playing Magic, thought that I was going to be the next Pro Tour champion. I thought I was good enough to play at a high level and quickly realized by finding the best players in Minnesota that that was not true at all. Um, I was getting crushed over and over and over again. I wasn't learning much. Um, I learned that I was great at a local level, but I would never make it on any large stage. So while my friends who were traveling all over the country, um, I decided I was going to grind trades. I've always kind of paid attention to prices and magic. Uh, I was unemployed for a while and I was like looking for something to supplement my hobby. And I realized that like slowly selling my collection was a way to do that. And trading was a way to build that back. Um, so did that for a long time. And then eventually I met up with, um, there's a few of us that own the shop. There's uh, actually five of us that own, the, that own Lodestone. And that's nice because we get to do re our regular jobs at the same time. We don't need Lodestone to survive. We, you know, we all get to put in input and make sure that it does well. Um, so I met Ryan Overturf. Um, he's one of the owners of Lodestone. Him and I met at a local IQ before he was internet famous. <laughs> and... Um, then Forrest Ryan has been a longtime friend of mine who is a competitive magic player that just is a actual robot when it comes to picking bulk and finding stuff to sell on the internet. Uh, and then Jordan Monty was a local player that we had talked to a bunch um, about opening a shop. He gives a ton of good input. And then there's Zach who uh, does all the coffee. He had never played magic before until um, we opened and now he grinds moto constantly. Um, he's literally drafting on moto right now. Um, like four feet down from me. Um, that's so we decided a long time ago that we were going to open a shop probably two years ago. Uh, we put a lot of research into the areas we wanted to put it in. We watched what other shops were doing. We saw that they were doing wrong. We saw that they were doing well. Um, 
we just took a lot of notes. And as time went on, we realized what we would have to do is have a great inventory with step one. Um, we knew if we were going to get magic from day one, we couldn't have people walking in the door not being able to find what they needed. So we put a lot of time and a lot of effort into just like vending local IQs, um, going to GPTs, going to pre-releases, just like asking stores if we could vend for them. Like I'm, we're talking, you know, having $500 total in our bankroll for the entire business and saying, all right, we're going to vend this event. We're going to see what we can do. We're going to aggressively trade. We're just going to have, it's basically trading with the house edge when you're doing vending and things like that um, with very little capital. And you just keep doing that and generate more cards and generate more cards and generate more cards and then eventually get to a point where you've got a little capital um, and a lot of cards. And we you know, met up with some people, um, some friends. We had talked about stuff, a couple friends that are, pretty financially savvy in the real world, not in the magic world. We, you know, we made sure that we were doing things correctly. Um, we saved money. We sold things. We moved things. We, you know, it's we built it on magic and we opened six months ago, um, after about eight months of setbacks and it was a lot of work and I don't, everybody asked me if I would do it again. And I think the answer is yes but it's a tough yes. <laughs> um, I would definitely want to do it again, but it's really hard. Uh, and so we, we just made sure that we were ready to market, ready to hit the ground running. We didn't want to say, hey, we're a new startup. Come check us out and maybe you'll like us. We said, we know you'll like us. We, we know what you're looking for. We are players. We are magic people. We don't, you know, I know what I want to see in a store. When you walk in, you see that. You get smiles on your face. Um, you get people who look like this is home for them. And that's what we wanted to find. Uh, we get grinders, casual players, uh, you know, the, the tryhards, the big names. It, at our Wednesday night events, you'll see everybody from, you know, gold pros to people who have never drafted before. And it it's great. It, it's fantastic. It's really helped us grow um, as a store. Um, the marriage between coffee and games has been huge because we're a game store for adults. You know, we have... I'm 28 years old, 27, 27 years old. And um, when I go to a game store, I want to sit comfortably. I don't want to sit in a chair that's going to hurt my back for four hours. I don't want to sit at a dirty table. Oh, I don't. The worst. Yeah. <laughs> like I pre-released in every store in the state. And it, you know, I remember what it was like to sit up till five in the morning in pain waiting. But like this pre-release was the best one. This is our first midnight. And we had coffee until two in the morning, which like for adults, people of, you know, above, 20 years old are thrilled that we have an espresso machine that's open until two in the morning. Hot. Not so, even a coffee machine, an espresso machine. Yeah. We had a full service. I just had, we had an employee stay on, you know, we did smoothies, we did tea, we did bakery, we did coffee. We just like made sure that adults were comfortable. <laughs> um, I don't want to do the hot cramped store anymore. Um, and no. None of these yep. guys will appreciate that as much as I do, but that is pretty, pretty excellent. And I commend you for that because I distinctly complain all the time. Like whenever I play a real magic event, I'm like, oh, my back is going to kill me after this is over. And the next day I'm like, ah, it's kind of these chairs are so rough. GPs are the worst. A real eye-opening tweet for me when we were doing it is uh, Walk the Plains tweeted. I retweeted it a while ago, but it was he said, um, you have to treat your store like a restaurant atmosphere matters. And I've worked in restaurants my whole life. And that was the number one thing for me. As I said, if I walked in the store and I wasn't a magic player, I would not want to be embarrassed to be seen here. Um, 
you know, I've been to pre-releases down the street from my high school and at 25 years old and had somebody I went to high school with walk in and it was like, they kind of look at you like, oh, this is what you spend your time doing. And it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, yes, I know this place is disgusting and dirty, but I mean, this is my hobby. So um, at Lodestone, no one has that. You know, no one gets that. You see somebody that you know, and they're like, this place is awesome. And we just try to keep people saying that. Uh, Ryan and Morgan have tons of pictures on their Twitter about um, the store and doing all just the setup and the effort that went into it. And I mean, we have handmade wood tables. We have restaurant quality chairs. We have um, tie tops that have wheels so we can move them. We can seat between on our regular events. On a regular day, we seat 68 Magic players. On a day we want a big event, we can seat 100. We are ready to move, and it's not by pulling out folding tables and folding chairs. It's by like actually taking the space and making it work. I think Travis wants to move like tomorrow, by the way. Now, obviously, there's a couple of things we want to talk about with your pitch of Lodestone, you know, all the good things. Uh, you mentioned that if you had to do it again, you would. There's sort of a common misconception, because I know I get messages about this all the time. Ed probably does, too, because he's coming around in the community as a guy that knows what he's doing. Uh, you get a lot of neckbeards messaging you, and they're saying, I've got twenty or $30,000, and I want to open a shop. And I don't have any cards, but I've got twenty or $30,000 cash. Uh, so the first thing I would like as a shop owner's opinion is, you know, are they even realistic? Because I, I know the answer, but I want to hear it from your mouth so that our listeners can sort of talk about this. Uh, 20 or $30,000 with no cards and no work ethic is not going to get you a good store. Uh, you can grind it out forever and you're going to, it's going to take you a while to grow to where you are, but, um, you're going to have a headache every day thinking about how short of funds you are. I mean, it, Having a great atmosphere costs us real money. Opening a coffee shop costs money. You know, there's plumbing, there's espresso machines are like $10,000. It's not, it's not about having, you know, 30 grand. You're like, great. You got my espresso machine and my drip brew. And now we're like down to five grand, you know, like that's not, it, it is so much more than that. And if you're just doing magic, I mean, 30 grand in inventory is a 5k box. You know, that's not, it doesn't take much to get to that dollar amount. Um, it just takes so much more work if you have less money and not that we were like overflowing with money, but it, you know, we were smart about what we did with it. And the second thing that I think is very important, uh, do you feel, and like talking to some of your employees as I, as they used to go to my, uh, my college and they've been real happy with where lodestones ended up. Do you feel that the coffee business has been a, a vital part of the success of Lodestone, that it offers something that other shops don't have and that it keeps people coming back? Because uh, I know I know you're a huge coffee fan. We can find that through your Twitter at Gamble for Value. I know Travis is a huge uh, coffee guy. I'm also a pretty big coffee guy. Uh, do you feel like this one thing has set you apart as well as having a very good profit margin to rely on? Because... Um, Basically, you know, a player is thinking, oh, it's the same cost as a pack. I'm tired, but I want to stay a little longer. And, the, you know, this is great coffee, and now I'm going to stay here and keep coming back just because they have this one thing that sets them apart. Um, so coffee, just like restaurants, it's not something you make money on right away. It takes two to three years to get into the black into coffee. It's something that it costs you. Coffee is cheap in the sense that it is a, you know, a the Bare bones product does cost a little compared to what you sell it for, but labor is a real thing. Um, you know, we use a lot of equipment. It, it takes, you know, we do smoothies, tea, coffee, 
frappes, uh, we have lemonades, we have baked goods. We, I mean, you just get to diversify. Um, you give yourself a reason to be open before, you know, one in the afternoon, which um, was a big thing for me for stores. I remember I got up at 10 in the morning looking for a card that is, you know, gone up or just something I'm looking for. And there's like no shops in the cities that were open before noon. And so I, we, we open at 7 a.m., Monday through Friday, Saturday and Sunday, we open at 8. So we get people that come in and just are like, I want to buy magic cards before work. And you're like, okay, here you go. You've got it. Grab a cup of coffee, grab a chai tea, you know, send you on your way. Um, you just give, it gives you a reason to be open all of the time. So I guess you're saying that if you want to get into the coffee business, you need to look and get started at the grounds floor. I'm not going to acknowledge that. Okay. Are there any other questions that the cast members want to ask Mike about his operation? I know Ed was very intrigued about uh, the whole Lodestone experience. Yeah. So like my biggest thing was like, how hard was it for you to um, kind of transition? Obviously like opening up a shop, like, you know, that's easy enough to do, right? Like, like, like Jeremy said, like 20 to 30 grand, you won't get very far, but 20, 30 grand is enough to get you uh, a lease to sign the door, a business license for an LLC, minimum product. You can buy cheap ass, like plastic tables and chairs at Walmart and boom, you like, you have a shop, you can order product like direct from wizards from distributors. You're good to go. But like what, like it, it, it's pretty rare that you see that next step taken. Um, when I used to, when I used to live in Portland, um, uh, Card Kingdom and uh, Mox Sporting House. That was kind of their subsidiary store in Bellevue, Washington. That was kind of like one of the biggest places. And that was where, that was like probably the first legitimate store. I was like, this store is insane because anyone who hasn't been out there, um, they have like a full on restaurant. Like you can order food. They have like a bar. You can get like all, like you can get alcoholic beverages, not just coffee or whatever. Um, but like, it's one of those things that I, I don't think is explored enough. And I'm really curious to see like, kind of like what's the next step. Like I see, I assume there's like issues with, you probably need someone like in your case who actually knows like the coffee. I imagine there's probably like additional paperwork licenses that you have to go through just to be able to serve food on campus or uh, on in store. Um, you just want to get some insight of that. Cause that's something I'm curious about. And I'm sure like other people. Uh... Um, okay. So when it comes to coffee and food, there's um, city licensing, state licensing. It increases the type of um, zoning for the building you're in. I mean, this is all stuff that, like, it's stuff you have to do, but it costs money. Every th single thing that invo is involved in it costs money. Um, nothing is free when it comes to the city or the state if it comes to food. Um, you know, how often does a GameStop get a health inspector coming through? Uh, in a regular game shop, they don't get that. We get More that. often than they do. Yeah, like, we, we get health inspections and as a functioning game store you know if we have 60 people in here and we get a health inspection it's like okay it doesn't matter how busy we are we have to drop everything and make sure that we you know everything is in order like we we do very well our stuff is clean we make sure everything is in order all the time because the health inspector can come during dinner and if he comes during a you know a tournament night where we have three events going on and two employees and one of us is here just like floating between both sides. It, you need to be ready for that stuff. Um, it's just additional labor. Um, as far as just like staying open and stuff like that, some of the little things we didn't think about is just like boxes on the floor. Like if you think about your back room in your card shop and you think about your shelving, imagine if you couldn't put stuff underneath it because you are a coffee shop and you can't have product on the floor. It's not allowed. In, and that is something that, is 
ridiculous. Um, you basically lose a shelf on every shelving unit you have. You can see behind me, I've got a big metal shelf. I'm surrounded by them. There are 10 of them in within my 15-foot bubble, and if I had an extra shelf on each of these, it would be great. Um, but knowing your product is huge, we don't serve bad coffee. We get all our coffee locally roasted um, from a, another coffee shop in uptown Minneapolis, Corner Coffee. Um, we're the only them. They roast coffee for themselves and us, and that's it. Um, so we, we see the product from step one all the way here. Our coffee manager, Zach, goes and roasts with them on Tuesday mornings. Um, we see it every step of the way. We get it in-house. We're the only people that have our product. Uh, it is huge environment-wise for players. Um, it also just like that's, you know, like kind of stale card shop smell. Um, our, we smell like coffee and chai tea all the time. And that is a huge environment bonus for anybody who's walking in that isn't a magic player that walks by and sees we're a coffee shop and they walk in the door, they're far more likely to come back if the environment is pleasing. Yeah, I imagine like a big part of that in itself, it's just like you're getting more people than just like your magic players that come in, right? Obviously like advertising will get you so far, but like one of the hardest things is like naturally the hobby, right? Like you, like the crowd, there's a lot of overlap between like Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, board game players, magic players, video game player, et cetera, right? Like they're all the same crowd, but it's like, how do you expand beyond that? And I imagine you have a lot of just, I'm, I'm not sure if you're in a strip mall or something, or if you have like an isolated building or whatever, but imagine you get a lot of just like walk by traffic of people. It's like, uh, you know, loads of coffee and games. It's like, oh, it's a coffee shop. Like worst case scenario, I drop in for coffee. Best case scenario, you get another customer who just impulse buys like a board game or like, oh, I mean, like I haven't played Magic in 10 years. Like I'll buy a few packs, start out type thing. I imagine that's like a lot of just kind of, a free role that's kind of built in that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get. It does seem like a good way to convert people, you know, the customer, you know, convert people who would never step foot into a game store into magic players just because they wandered in for a coffee or something. We are in a strip mall. Um, that's so we're in a strip mall and there's a dentist next to us, a financial planner, a chiropractor, and then two other small businesses. Um, and then there's a bar at the end of our strip mall. So one thing that happens on Friday night magic is, um, the parking lot fills up. All the other things close. Our parking lot is filled. We have probably parking for ooh, probably 150 people easily in the front of the building and then more around back. And it fills up between the bar and us. <coughs> Sorry. And the people in the bar will walk to their cars and after dinner and they will see that there's like, what are there 75 people in this building? You know, and so they walk in and we just make sure that our game staff, who is the first person they see, is ready to customer service them. It's a customer service industry. You know, you can't be sitting, you're, you're, people come in and they ask questions. They don't know what magic is. So they, you don't have to give them a 40-minute description of what Magic the Gathering is. You get to push the things that they understand. People have, everybody has heard of board games. Everybody understands that concept. You basically just say, um, we do a lot of Magic the Gathering events. Magic the Gathering is getting spin around for 25 years, and then you immediately go to whatever they're looking at and you describe that to them. Uh, make them comfortable. If you tell somebody, oh, this is a Magic the Gathering store, and they keep going and you keep rattling, rattling, rattling on about it, they just lose interest. They don't, they don't know what's going on. They don't have the prior knowledge to get that, and it's tough. This is, uh, this is a Magic the Gathering store. I see you're looking at our hentai section. Allow me to explain what. This is not Akihabara, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i guess that makes sense i guess the dentist closes around 2 30 anyway so it's really not a big deal when it comes to filling up spots it's you're the worst you're the worst nice. jeremy but yeah um i know that 
for our listeners that are commenting live on this, this may this this uh, this podcast might have seemed like a sort of humble brags episode where we all talk about you know uh, Mike's spending ten thousand dollars on an espresso mas- machine, Ed sitting on top of a stack of gold bills, uh, Travis is wearing a fancy Italian suit, but it's real interesting to see some of the minds behind the game shops and the people that service you locally. I know that we quite literally have some of Mike's regulars in this live chat right now that are just sort of talking about how they found Lodestone. And this is something that, you know, you might want to ask the owner of the game shop because of how much blood, sweat and tears they've put into uh, opening their shop and how long it's taken to grow. you know, one of the shops I work with right now has taken over 20 years at the moment to get to where it's been. And that was not an easy path. That took years and years of, uh, trial and error and Mike's come along and after almost a year of researching uh, what else has gone wrong in his area he's really just blown it out of the park based off what we've heard from everyone and something that I know that he hasn't even mentioned is the amount of board gamers that come in and play and drink coffee during the day where you have these like young professionals or some of these dads and they just come in with their kids and play board games or something you know that's a huge market right there especially when it comes to the impulse buys which is really what a lot of this industry is built around besides the repeat service is getting that one guy to go you know what i'll take one more pack every week and you know that adds up real fast and that that raises an interesting point here and i'm so i'm curious mike um do you actually have some volume of parents with children uh that wander in to play games with their kids throughout the day do you have anything of that nature uh, we have, so what we get is we get a lot of people that walk by, um, a lot of moms and dads. We have apartment building behind us, a couple across the street. Um, all were very, you know, we found this location we were very happy about. As a coffee shop, you need a high density of people to exist um, around you. So we get people that come in and they get coffee and like, oh, I can take my kid here. And our demo shelf for board games is curated very well. We make sure we have good games. We don't carry garbage. That is like step one is don't put trash on your shelves. Um, with the board games, we have 90, I think we're, I counted the other day, I think it was like 96 different board games on our demo shelf, and our employees can teach them. Um, if you have a two-year-old, I have a game you can play with your two-year-old. They can sit down and play Animal Upon Animal. If you have two 14-year-olds, I can teach you Junk Art. If you have a family of seven, I can teach you how to play Mysterium. It's, you know, it's it's about making sure you cater to every possible person that walks into your store. Okay, so that leads into, so this leads into my other question is, given that you guys are working to attract that, family element. Uh, and I guess this ties back into Morgan being here last week as well. Have you found any particular challenges getting magic players to behave like human beings, uh, yes. given that you're trying to cultivate a different market than what a normal hobby shop might? All of my players understand that the success of our store um, is just as reliant on them as it is on me. They understand that their attitude, how they speak, in the presence of others, how they treat other people, um, that matters to Lodestone. If they are yelling and swearing and running around and being just jerks to each other, they realize that that shows to other people. And like I said, we're trying to be a game store for adults. We, I don't want the kid who just learned the F word is cool to be blaring the F word. We teach them lessons about being an adult. We just say, you know, we, we pull people aside and we, we talk to them about language. We talk to them about um, the way they present themselves in front of other people, volume level. Um, it's okay to get excited. As you heard earlier, a legacy player got excited. That's like totally fine. I, I understand that games are exciting, but you have to know that our people walk in the door who have never been in a game shop before. If you start 
um, swearing and screaming and you know presenting yourself in a way that is obnoxious, it hurts our business as a whole. And our the people that play in our store want us to be here. If they didn't want us here, we wouldn't be here. We polled people. We we found in the community we found uh, you know over a hundred people. We asked questions about what they wanted in a game store, and we made sure that we gave them the important things and tried to minimize on the things that they didn't like about other stores. Um, and I know that everybody says that when they open a store, everybody says, I'm trying to build a better store for the community and every game store owner wants that. But it's, it's, you have to actually deliver is the hard part. Makes sense. I think that's a pretty good round of questioning guys. Uh, it's probably time to move on to pick of the week. But before we do that, if you haven't given a fa our Facebook page a like yet at Cartel Aristocrats or Mike's shop at Lodestone Gaming, uh, we're giving away a free Tarmogoyf right now on our Cartel Aristocrats Facebook page. Just created it last week. All you have to do is like and reshare it, and you may win a free Tarmogoyf from Modern Masters 2017. And now let's get into pick of the week. Uh, Mike, it's a tradition every time on this cast that we choose a card. It'll be noted in the spreadsheet with all of our picks from this year so far. And we track that on a percentage basis towards the end of the year. Uh, currently, I'm kicking the crap out of everyone because they chose standard cards, and obviously standard cards go down over the long term. So if you're thinking of something casual, this might be a good idea to sort of go in. And as always, we'll put Jim on the spot first as far as what he's choosing this week for the card to go up for pick of the week. Blowfly Infestation. And gotcha. why is that? Because uh, recently we saw Crumbling Ashes, which is like, let me let me just explain. These are two two cards that are pretty similarly related, and people probably don't know what the what they do. Uh, I almost I almost did, I, I I caught myself. So uh, Crumbling Ashes recently went up to like four dollars. It's a two mana black enchantment. It says at the beginning of your upkeep, destroy target creature with a minus one minus one counter on it. And I don't know if anyone's read any of the spoilers from Amonkhet, but minus one, minus one counters are like a big theme. And there's a green, black legendary creature that cares specifically about putting minus one, minus one counters on things. Um, what is in a related note, which uh, is another card from the Lorwyn Shadowmoor block, which is Blowfly Infestation, which is a three mana enchantment that says whenever a creature dies, if it had a minus one, minus one counter on, you put a minus one, minus one counter on something else. Um, basically what that is, is just another way to per, like to proliferate your minus one, minus one counter shenanigans. And I think that once uh, players are able to own Hapatra and see the kind of decks you can build with her, um, cards, especially from the uh, Lorwyn and Shadowmoor cycle, where it was more meant to synergize with uh, Wither and uh, Persist, um, some of those cards are going to get much more expensive, especially like the weird niche ones that people just don't know about and shops with lesser inventories probably don't carry. Who's next? Uh, didn't we say it was Mike, right? All right, Mike, you're on the spot. Um, so we're talking overall gain, right? Like what I think the best card you should buy right now is in general. Or trade into. Either works. Fatal Push. Uh, I like can't stress enough how little of them there are out there compared to a regular sought-after uncommon in a set. Modern Masters pushed Aetherable out of draft formats. Standard is not very large right now, which means prize packs are not being opened in nearly the 
amount that they normally would be. And it is, there are not very many out there. I can't keep them in stock. I pay uh, basically full retail for them in trade value. And I just to keep my players happy to make sure that I have things that they want. And I can't keep them in stock in for any amount of time. I think I bought 10 today this morning. And I think I took, I bought one and I pretty sure before I got on this caster down to like two or three left. Um, just buy fatal push it, it like between moto redemptions nobody playing moto to play modern masters just that card is good it will has a it'll probably have an fm promo at some point um it's worth five dollars just buy it it doesn't it won't matter it will go up it will probably go down a little bit but there's none out there so you just buy as many as you can uh okay i'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with body double. Protean Hulk was just unbanned in Commander. Um, it's gonna be in basically every green deck, and body double plays really, really well with Protean Hulk. Like the number of decks that are both blue and green that want Protean Hulk that don't want body double is probably close to zero. Um, I've always thought the card was cheaper than it really should be. Um, so I think. It, it got reprinted in dual decks. Jace versus Roscos was a little bit of extra supply out there, but in general, there's not that much out there. It's in planar chaos. A lot of players probably don't even know that it kind of exists. So Protean Hulk gets unbanned. They find out from their local EDH game that people are playing Protean Hulk now, and then they also see body double, and they go, "I didn't even know that was a card," uh, which happens all the time. Um, so you know, the copies are like a dollar, a dollar and change. There's not that many out there. You got a little while probably before this really gets there, but I think this is like a five or six dollar card eventually. And uh, given how many you can pick up for how cheap they are, I think you'd probably do pretty well with these. Um, I'll, I will continue with my usual uh, standard mythic that is probably going to be terrible for long term. But if you want something cheap. I think Angel of Sanctions is very good. Um, the copycat combo, the fact that that didn't get banned today, I think that is going to uh, push uh, Standard towards a slightly longer game. It depends on if Mardu Vehicles is still good or not. I suspect that it probably won't be. But the four cards to the Healy deck basically lost nothing and it only gets cards that make the deck better. Yeah, you have like Manglehorn and like all these... Uh, cards that people like suspect could be good, but I think realistically, the I think you're just gonna have longer, grindier games. Uh, Angel Sanctions is the perfect like kind of card that fits that slot. It's like it's an answer twice. It requires removal twice. Um, sort of like Grass of Darkness or like a big Harness Lightning. It's kind of hard to just kind of kill on the front end. And in, in, in um. I think six, it's currently a six right now in a lot of places on TG Player. If it drops any lower, I would probably willing to drop like, a, like I don't know, $500 to buy up a ton of copies in the event that it does do well before the Pro Tour. Obviously, it's a, it's a short-term spec. Um, if, it, if it does well, then you can easily double your money since it, since it is a Mythic. If it's a bust, then, well, you're out like some small amount of money because this type of card is never going to be one that's going to be completely worthless. The Angel? Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good card. Um, like, it'll always have some casual appeal because if there's anything that casual players love, it's Oblivion Ring effects and angels, and stapling them two together just seems like a match made in heaven. Yeah, the problem with the angel decks, in my opinion, is that a lot of casual players tend to wing them together and the decks aren't really that fly. But, eh, whatever. Um, 
There's I, I do like that pick for you later for that pun. <laughs> I do like that pick though, Ed. I think Mardu Vehicles is in a wheelie good position right now. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, my pick of the week is Pat the Exile from Modern Masters 3. Uh, this card has been down forever, and no matter how many printings uh, Path gets, we always seem to sell out in an instant. So personally, it's not a big deal for me. Uh, picking this card up in trade or cash, this card is currently 5 or $6 right now, and the BIOS are 3 to $4. This will be a 10 to $12 card in the near future. And it should just be really easy to make your money back on this, especially trading for them. Because everyone's like, oh, Path has had a ten- its 8th or ninth reprint, but a lot of these have been in very limited quantities or dual decks so i think you'll be fine picking this card up so where can everybody find you guys i know we basically had a 30 minute plug for lodestone on this cast but if you guys just want to each take a minute to explain where people can find you and how to get in contact with you on your social media besides that cartel aristocrats on facebook uh all right so i'm at gamble for value on twitter uh you can find uh lodestone at lodestone cg on twitter uh our facebook is the main form of contact we use um, that's lodestone coffee and games um i generally just tweet about eric hawkins and ryan overturf uh because i see them every day and uh occasionally the shop too if i'm looking for some you know some internet uh high fives uh, i'll tweet about lodestone but um you can always ask me questions or you know shoot me ideas if you like to like things you see in the store if you have ideas for the store i'm always open to hear My name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at PHROST underscore. You can find me on Gathering Magic every other week and Modern Nexus every week. I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday for MTG Price. I do the MTG Fast Finance podcast with the same name on Twitter on Thursdays. And if you like playing Magic, check out scry.land, find Magic in your area. We just updated to include a new table view. Should make it a little easier to parse depending on what you're looking for. And we've got a lot more features in the work, so keep an eye on it. I'm EdWin13 on Twitter. Uh, I'm here at Crowden's Game Store right now. Check us out on Crowden'sGameStore.com. Uh, this weekend, I will be in Austin, Texas for DreamHack. Um, so it's kind of a sweet event, something new we're trying out. I will be there behind the Tokyo MTG booth if anyone wants to come by and say hi. Which booth was that? Uh, Tokyo MTG. Where okay. We are splitting with them for the weekend. All right. I was just curious because vendor things. Uh, I'm Zemet. You can find me this weekend at Valhalla's Gate Games in Columbia, Missouri, right next to the University of Mizzou campus. Uh, we have a sold-out Legacy Win a Lotus tournament where at least one of Mike's employees is coming down with some Minnesota guys, and I hope to come up for one of his tournaments sometime because playing the best format in the world for a Lotus is a pretty fun turnout and tournament. I where you usually have... see modern tournaments for Lotuses, but uh, I guess it's possible. Yeah, um... I hope to not get booed out of my own players meeting for the third time in a row. So for making too many puns during the players meeting. So it will be real interesting to see spillers when at home. No, 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 no. We had a, we had a um, John player spill his breakfast on someone and his abrupt decay turned into an abrupt parfait real fast. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at Zemet Sells Magic. You can find me in the great state of Missouri or in St. Louis, where the only thing that grows is the crime rate. You can always follow us at cartel underscore finance. 
And as always, give us a like and share our post on Facebook at Cartel Aristocrats. Um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Mike, thanks for taking an hour and a half of your time to come on the cast with us. We really enjoyed it. Uh, obviously, yeah, now that everyone knows where Lodestone is, it should be real easy to uh, visit if you're in the area, especially for GP Minneapolis, which I know at least two members of this cast are planning on going to. Yeah, we're um, only about 20 minutes from the site. Uh, there's public transportation that takes you here. So, Yeah, Ed and I should be there. Um, I'm sure Jim and Ed really enjoyed everybody uh, saying hi to them at GP Orlando, and maybe whenever Travis crawls out of his basement, you'll be able to say hi to him too. I will be I, I will be at Vegas. People can find me there. But don't. But you can. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, guys. This has been Cartel Aristocrats cast number 51, and we'll see you all next week.